You're listening to the Baby Dust Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Bowers. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Baby Dust Fertility Podcast. I hope that you've had a really great start to your week. Um, You know, it's been busy here lately. I've been wrapping up some new things that I'm excited to get out to you. So if you are not in the broadcast channel um, over on Instagram, that is where I am sharing some of the sneak peeks to these exciting new things that I am working on. So definitely make sure you connect over there. Uh, because you're going to get some heads up and some in, some opportunities to provide input on these resources. Um, so I hope to see you there after you listen to this episode. But today I'm excited to be sitting down with Jessica Ash. I have been following her Instagram account for a long time. Again, no surprise because Instagram has been my BFF for connecting with new guests for this show. I just love being able to see people's vibrancy, their passion. Um, And it almost feels like you can kind of get to know them before you reach out and say, hey, would you like to come on and chat with me? Um, But I was listening to her podcast a little bit ago and the topic of the episode was so poignant um, that I just had to reach out and see if she would come on the show today to talk. We're going to talk appetite. We're going to talk how that impacts hormones. Um, and I, as I was sharing with her before I hit the record button, I feel like this is often a taboo topic, which it shouldn't be. So buckle up your seatbelts, my friends, because we're going to dive into this and it's going to be awesome. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you for taking some time to hang out with us. I hope you've had a good day and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here and to talk about this topic, which I love so much. Oh, I can tell, which is one of the reasons why I was so excited to, bring, to be able to talk to you about this. You, it's very clear from what I've read from you and listened from you that your knowledge here is super deep. Um, and it's definitely something you have taken the time to fully understand. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, I always love to ask, when you started out your journey to being a nutritionist, um, being an expert in this space, did you have a goal of supporting women um, and really just being in the women's health, being an expert here? Or was that kind of something that came from your own journey? You know, that's something that came from my own journey. I think a lot of people in this space can say that you don't really set out to talk about something specific or realize it's going to resonate with so many women. And when I started, I just started to talk about things that I wish I would have known or things that I wish I would have had shared with me when I was first starting my health journey. You know, after I went off of birth control, I was diagnosed with a a few different autoimmune diseases, but also PCOS. And so it was impacting my daily quality of life. And I went down all of the rabbit holes of, you know, gluten-free and dairy-free and low carb and all of the things that are out there. And I realized how toxic some of the mindsets were within the health and wellness space. And I just started talking about it and it seemed to resonate with people a lot because I grew and and my page grew and my business grew so incredibly quickly, which was such a sign that this was a conversation that was needing to be had. Mm, absolutely. And I love that because I, I do feel like, especially when you highlighted a lot of those things that you mentioned as more of that toxic culture, um, I think a lot of us have touched that 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of like at first you feel like, oh, I, I guess I kind of went down that rabbit hole, but then you're like, oh, wait, other people have been there too. And it's going to be okay. So I just think that's amazing to be willing to call out. Like, you know, I've been there uh, and this is where I am now. Yes. Yes. And I recognized, you know, at some in my journey, I, I've been on this journey for quite a while now, over a decade. But one of the biggest things I noticed was the way that we as women would talk about appetite just in, in mm-hmm. general. I think a lot of times we um we almost there's just this underlying con- connotation that eating is like something you don't want to be doing. Um, just like eating less, intermittent fasting, oh, suppress your appetite. That's a big conversation. Yet Mm -hmm. I never really heard of people talking about like, hey, let's make sure you're getting enough food. Let's make sure your body's getting enough fuel. Let's make sure you are hungry because I would be really worried if my dog wasn't hungry for days at a time. You know, we would all, someone dear and and near to our hearts, like I always say our pets are our animals. (laughs) If they were just laying around, not really very hungry, not really wanting their next meal, we would be worried about them. And it'd only take about a day to worry about them, (laughs) but we don't do the same thing for ourselves. Mm, yeah, that's so true. So, so at what point when you started to dive into this, did the light bulb go off for you that there might be a connection here for hormones and how the appetite is functioning? Yeah. So early on in my research about women's health and really understanding our physiology, I started to quickly recognize that we are very different than men. Our bodies function on a completely different kind of biological plane, I guess we could say. And that's a whole other rabbit hole. But at the end of the day, our bodies really require a lot of safety and stability to thrive and function. Our bodies kind of have almost two operating points. We can operate in a place of survival and that requires a lot of adrenal hormones. That requires us to um, stay in a kind of a state of reacting to stress constantly. And then we have that more rest, digest, regenerate mode, where is our natural homeostasis set point where we feel our body feels open and accepting of what's going on around us. And in that state, we will often find ourselves having a normal and natural appetite. So like, what is a normal natural appetite? Mm -hmm. I think for most women, we think like the the less, the better, you know, our food has, and our body has, has really had this war like undertone for many decades now where it's like, Oh, that pesky little appetite that, you know, (laughs) that pesky little need to eat, like uh, keeps popping up. What can I do to suppress it? Let's drink some water. Let's take some fiber. But at the end of the day, you know, a healthy body is going to let you know when it needs fueling. And when we are stuck in that, that first state that I talked about, that kind of more survival state where we're relying on our body's backup systems to function, we're utilizing a lot of cortisol, a lot of adrenaline, um, in cases like PCOS, you know, we're we're, we're operating on a lot of testosterone. That is more of a survival state of being. And when we're in a survival state, you know, many people have been in a stressful situation, an acutely stressful situation where, oh my gosh, like, oh, I can't believe I just survived that. <laughs> where you, the last thing you're thinking about is food. So you can think about that survival state as kind of when you're running from an angry bear, your blood flow is going away from the systems that are needed for that rest and digest and repair place to just survive, which is going to be like your muscle tissue, your lung tissue, your heart tissue, and you're going to see bloop 
And the problem is so many women are living in a chronic state of stress that their digestive system has this constant blood flow coming away from it. And their digestive systems are in kind of this various forms of atrophy. And so our appetite going away is a first sign that something is a little bit off in our system. And our body still needs fuel. And so when our appetite goes, our body will start to speak up it, it for its need for fuel in other ways. Appetite is not the only way to let us know that we need fuel, we need energy. Hmm. And so that's where, you know, you don't have to draw a long line between that to getting to maybe some fertility challenges and hormones maybe not functioning optimally or egg quality deteriorating. Uh, yes. Yeah. What you described though, really, you know, I think we forget, you know, it was this huge light bulb for me when, when I realized that it was the hectic nature of my life was pushing me back and back and back and back into this. You know, yeah. it's like, I feel like a lot of times it's one of those things where unless you start to recognize that piece, because you don't think hecticness, you know, being busy, being on the go, being, you know, healthy, you're exercising, you're, you're eating the the, maybe the smaller or the, the, the lower calorie, healthy meals or whatever that looks like. You don't always think that, oh, that might actually be impacting my regular hunger. And that might also be impacting everything else. Right. Right. It is this chain reaction where we don't necessarily think that when we're jumping from thing to thing, we think, oh, I'm just busy or I'm just, you know, I'm just focused on the next thing, focused on the next thing. We don't really recognize that that lack of space within our schedule, that lack of ability to just rest, like truly rest, true rest is kind of that ability to relax and let go. The lack of that within our life, I say, I sometimes think of it as like a lack of wiggle room where we don't give us ourselves much space to wiggle around. Like we have to just, we're really um, tied and chained to the next thing that's on our schedule. It really locks us into that state of stress where it's just like, okay, we're thinking about the constant next thing where we're never really in truly in the present moment. We're either living in the past of like, oh no, I forgot to do this, 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 and this, or we're headed to the next thing and we're already operating within our future and our body doesn't have a moment to just live, just be, just breathe, you know? Mm, yeah, that's so true. So for, you know, you know, when you start out with this conversation, this really does feel new. What are some of those early signs or signs that you might notice in your life that, Hey, there, this area could need some improvement and some optimization. Yeah. So I think the biggest one is morning appetite. I think I, I see such a huge amount of women saying like, I'm just not hungry in the morning. I have no hunger in the morning. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it <laughs> thousands of times. And it's just like, well, I just can't eat in the morning. I can't bring myself to eat in the morning. That kind of almost feeling of like, oh, I couldn't possibly put food in my body in the morning. And this is the sign, the first sign of a really sluggish system. You know, as women, we're meant to be, I like to say, we're meant to be you know, happy, horny, and hungry. And if we're not those three things, we, there's something going on underlying, you know, sometimes it's just stress and we have to remove the stress, but a lot of times there's something deeper and hunger is a great kind of set point where if your body is utilizing energy properly, because everything really comes down to the cells themselves, how are our cells utilizing the fuel that we put in and turning it into energy? Mm. And on a more scientific level that happens in our mitochondria, when it creates when the mitochondria create ATP. So every single cell in our body, including our ovarian cells, the cells of our fallopian tubes, our uterus, they 
all are made up of cells that are taking in our fuel, our nutrients, our minerals, and generating energy from that. Mm. And if our body is utilizing our fuel well, it's going to keep asking for fuel, right? It's going to use it, it's going to burn it, and then it's going to use it. It's going to ask for it, it's going to use it, it's going to burn it. But for a lot of women, our utilization of our fuel and turning that into energy is quite poor, which is why they say, you know, almost everything starts at the cellular level, because that's really what's happening is our body is having, there's some type of blockage in our body's ability to create energy from the fuel we're eating. It's usually because we're eating food that is very high calorie and low nutrient, or we're not eating enough, or we're not eating frequently enough. And so our appetite is often the first thing that starts to really suffer. And our morning appetite specifically, because when our hormones start to shift, our body is going to uh, be slow to wake up. You know, our, 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 our digestion is going to be very slow to wake up. Everything's going to kind of slow down to conserve the energy that we do have, the nutrients that we do have, the fuel that we do have until our habits communicate something different to our body. If our body feels like it's having to conserve because there's not enough coming in, well, it's going to slow everything down and it's going to conserve. I I wanted to pause on that one thing you said there of eating things that might be high calorie and low nutrient. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I think that, you know, I, I loved everything you said because you really, you explained it so beautifully, but I think that right there is one thing that a lot of people don't think about is like, Oh, but I'm eating food. I'm eating potentially lots of food. Mm. But then when you actually start looking at it, you know, especially if you're still following more of a standard American diet, you're not, you're not focusing on real foods. You tend to eat volume without actually giving your body the resources it needs to function. And that can be such a shock. <laughs> right. Right. Or we think of all food as the same, all food mm, is equal, mm-hmm. but the reality is our society right now has a lot of what I call non-food foods, which mm, is if you yes. flip them around and look at the ingredients, you're like, what is this? The body is not going to know how to use this. This is not nutrient dense. It doesn't provide the body anything that it needs. It has to work through and process all of these extra added chemicals. And it's not in expending the energy to digest that and go through the process of digesting it, it's not getting what it needs in return. There's a, if you think of it as like a scale that needs to remain balanced, it's the body's expending all this energy and then oop, it's having to wade through all this waste and not get very much in return. And then we have other people who are thinking they're eating extremely healthy because they're doing lots of plant foods and lots of things that maybe are considered healthy in our society, but they're very low nutrient and low, uh, they have low digestibility. So there are certain things that are biologically appropriate for humans to eat. And certain foods may provide you a lot of bulk, like let's say like leafy greens, for example. If you are living and subsisting off of mostly kale smoothies <laughs> and you are not getting the protein that you need or the easily digestible fats that you need, you're going to not realize, but you're not getting a lot of nutrients, but the amount of energy that it takes to digest that bulk is going to still cost your system energy. So we kind of have these two mixes of people where people think they're eating super nutrient dense. In reality, they're not eating a super biologically appropriate diet. But then on the flip side, like a more standard American diet, you have these very calorically, calorically dense foods that don't have a lot of nutrients either. Mm. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you highlighted that like healthy end of the spectrum, you know, 
Uh, because yeah, that's an easy one to fall into as well. Thinking that, oh, well, I'm just, I'm eating all these things, but not actually considering the, the fact that our bodies may not necessarily be able to use them to the extent that we think, or we might be burning more energy and expense to utilize what little we can get out of them. Not that I want to say yes. throw it out with the bath water. You yes. know, I enjoy some great kale chips because I know kale Same. is your example. <laughs> My kids, I have to hide them from them or they will eat so my good. kale chips. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can't live off kale chips alone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We we are omnivores and mm -hmm. um, we're not rabbits and we're not birds. And I see, you know, kind of in the health food space, we have we have many different things that are considered healthy now. But um, there is a variety that it's important to enjoy a variety rather than focus on getting the bulk from one thing. Mm -hmm. So true. So when you kind of backtracking just a minute here, you kind of had mentioned that one of the biggest things that you, you notice, well, often notice is that, you know, women comment that they're just not hungry in the morning. Um, so if someone's thinking that's me, I want to maybe start making a shift in this space what does that look like? Do you generally recommend just to just force yourself to start eating at that time? Or is there some better approach to maybe getting the body to actually recognize it's hungry? Yeah, there's some different approaches. You know, some people do really benefit from just eating within an hour of waking and making that a habit. It can be very hard the first two weeks because there's not the hunger to back it up. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when we're in a vicious cycle of stress and some of the stress is being driven by not eating enough or not fre eating frequently enough or eating in the right patterns for our system, sometimes just kind of intentionally breaking that pattern can be very helpful for some women, even if it's just something small in the morning. But if that's not something that is comfortable or someone's willing to do, there are other ways to do it. And it's really about utilizing your food and your meal times to translate safety and consistency to the body. So Oftentimes I'll see women, what they do is they're very inconsistent eaters, right? We do this thing with appetite where it's like, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. And then I'm starving and I eat this big meal or there's this kind of inconsistent eating pattern where it's like, well, I eat when I'm hungry, but we don't recognize that our hunger signals right now are being directed by digestive atrophy and stress. And mm -hmm. so there is a, a level where we need to maybe go in and break that vicious pattern. And that's where Choosing consistent mealtimes is incredibly important. So, you know, if you think of consistency, translate safety and stability to the body, and then safety and stability will translate abundance and abundance equals I'm safe to reproduce. I'm safe to rest. I'm safe to digest. I can jump into that, what's called the parasympathetic state of the nervous system and get that true rest. Um, you can start easily by just having some consistent mealtimes. I usually do recommend having breakfast within an hour to two hours of waking um, and making that a habit and kind of doing it consistently at the same time or a similar time each day and then eating consistently throughout the day as well. So if that's three meals a day for you, having breakfast, lunch, and dinner around the same time every day, mm -hmm. if you need a little bit more food frequency, which some women do. Um, need like a little bit of a, maybe they'll need a mid-morning snack. If you find yourself hungry around that time and suppressing your hunger, have a little snack, have a little balanced snack. If you find yourself really peckish in the middle of the afternoon, have a little snack. Those are things that really help maintain your body's blood sugar when your body's having a hard time finding stability in blood sugar on its own. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a reason why, you know, say like men are gorgers, women are grazers. We tend to have a little bit more of a need sometimes for some meal frequency at certain parts of our cycles. There's nothing wrong in having small balanced snacks throughout the day, having smaller meals at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then kind of having some snacks in between if that works better for you. But creating some type of consistency and stability each day, not, you know, waking up at 10 a.m., having your first meal at noon one day, and then waking up at 6 a.m. and having your first meal at eight o'clock or, um, you know, just kind of inconsistency can really be hard for the body to find a sense of safety or stability. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think it's helpful to just have that reiteration too, of like the difference biologically between men and women's bodies, because, uh, you know, a lot of that advice that we, that's permeated out there is really not geared towards women's bodies. And that's just like something so helpful to remember that, Hey, you know, that just might not be the ideal for how, you know, we function. And even within women, you know, there's going to be some variance on what might work best for one person versus another. Um, and I think that's so helpful just to have that at the front of the mind. Yeah. I mean, if you look at health and wellness studies, there was kind of this review done, I think it was in 2020, but don't quote me on that, mm -hmm. where they looked at the past six years of studies done on women versus men. And they found that less than 6% of studies was done on, on women as a whole. And a majority mm -hmm. of the studies done on women were done on menopausal women. So we don't have a lot of data for cycling women because there's so many variables there for, for scientists to have to kind of account for. And then are they on hormonal birth control or not? There's so many variables that they just kind of say like, nah, like we'll just, <laughs> we'll just use men. It's so much easier. Right. And so that has led to us to have a kind of a health and wellness culture as a whole that is permeated with practices that really are geared towards supporting male bodies. And we don't have much data on how they impact our bodies and our metabolisms work very, very differently. We have completely different hormonal rhythms and our hormonal rhythms impact our metabolism on a very deep level. And so things like intermittent fasting, these kind of periods, uh, long periods of not eating, these kind of more shock therapies, like cold therapy and things like that, they can have a very different impact on a woman who is stuck in a stress state. If you're stuck in that vicious cycle of being acutely stressed or chronically stressed, adding more stress to the system is not going to get you the results that you really are after. Mm, absolutely. So for anyone who's listening, that's your reminder to, you know, do your due diligence to check out where, if you're reading something, where did it come from? What were they specifically looking at? Um, and that can just be really helpful when trying to just flesh out, you know, is this habit going to be beneficial for my body? Yeah. And if it doesn't feel good and you're trying to force it, that is the easiest mm -hmm. way to figure it out. Like if you're, you know, intermittent fasting in the morning and you're raiding the pantry at night, it's not your lack of willpower. It is your body trying to protect you. And so really remembering that your appetite and your desire for food is not wrong. There's nothing inherently bad about it. It is a sign of a healthy person to be hungry and have natural mm -hmm. normal levels of hunger. And you know, a lot of times our appetite, we tend to think in extremes. So we go from like not being hungry, not being hungry, not being hungry to being starving. That's not normal, natural, healthy appetite either. Hunger should feel a gradual oncoming. So it should be like, 
okay, I'm starting to think, okay, I'm starting to think about food. I'm starting to feel the need for, for food. And that gives your body or yourself an opportunity to prepare something or get some food together. You shouldn't be dropping into not hungry to hangry. Those are signs that, okay, I'm stressed. My body's focused on other things and my blood sugar is going from this to this in a very rigid jerky manner. And that's a sign of some instability there. So we should be looking for balanced, normal, natural appetite, which is hunger around the certain times that we usually eat food. And that's where that consistency can really come in. We'll start to feel that gradual hunger and say, oh, it's time to eat. And the best way to bring a healthy appetite back is to not suppress your appetite. When you are hungry, honor that signal and don't suppress it, suppress it, suppress it until it becomes hanger, because that usually gets us into a vicious cycle. And then we're behind and we're constantly going from that, like not hungry to hangry, not hungry to hangry. Mm, Yeah. Such a great reminder. Well, Jessica, thank you for taking the time today to just dive into this with us. I've just really enjoyed the conversation and um, it's such a great topic and one that, you know, we just need to make more awareness about because it does matter so much. It really does. It really does. And thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor to talk about this. Absolutely. So for anyone who's listening, they want to find out more where can they connect with you? Is there anything that you're currently offering that you'd like to share with our community? Um, I'd love to just share that before we wrap up. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram primarily at Jessica Ash Wellness. I recently started a new podcast this past year called the Fully Nourished Podcast. And it's based on the principles that I teach in my foundational course called Fully Nourished, which teaches um women how to come out of the stress state, tune into their physiology, really understand their cycle and the shifts that happen with the cycle and fuel in a biologically appropriate way for, for their needs. Mm, That sounds fantastic. And we will link to that in the show notes for anyone who is listening. I highly recommend just checking out her Instagram page and check out that course because it's got a lot of good information that I know you'll appreciate. But with that, I think that wraps us up for today. Thank you again for being on the show. And we will be back again next week on Monday with another episode. So if you haven't subscribed yet, take a minute to hit that subscribe button wherever it is that you are enjoying this episode. And I look forward to sharing more great insight with you here in just a couple days. So bye for now. Hey friends, I wanted to quickly pause today's episode to talk about Full Wells Fertility Booster. Now there are so many products on the market designed for supporting sperm and egg health. And I wanted to specifically highlight this one today. You know, I'm sure that if you look at your counter, you probably have a ton of different supplements you've already purchased that are just sitting there that you and your significant other are taking on a daily basis. What you don't need is two more products that you need to add, that you need to purchase, that you need to keep there. And so that's why I really like Full Wells Fertility booster. This is a single product that's designed to support both sperm and egg quality. It includes some of those really big hitting antioxidant supplements like CoQ10, alpha lipoic acid, and NAC. And it's designed to just be added into the routine that you already have going. Now, what's really cool here is that there are no ingredients that overlap with what is already in your prenatal. So you don't have to worry about getting too much folate or getting too much vitamin A or getting too much of any 
one of these other supplements that we really don't want to be up regulating our dose with. And so this is a great product to add. If you have been doing the dietary and the lifestyle changes, but you're really looking for something extra to help take that sperm and egg quality to the next level. Now you can head over to fullwellfertility.com. You can put this in your cart. They've got a lot of other great products on that website and you can use the code blissberrywellness at checkout to save.